This is the American Medical Association's COVID-19 Update Podcast. This is part of an ongoing series featuring critical insights from the physicians and healthcare professionals on the front lines of the pandemic. Hello, this is the American Medical Association's COVID-19 Update. Today, we're talking with Dr. Akiko Iwasaki, the Sterling Professor of Immunobiology at Yale University and a Principal Investigator at the Howard Hughes Medical Institute. He's going to share with us the latest research on long COVID. I'm Todd Ungaria, Mace Chief Experience Officer in Chicago. Dr. Iwasaki, thanks so much for joining us. We hear and read a lot about long COVID. It sounds uh, scary and concerning. Um, and the more complicated uh, diagnosing and treatment uh, that seems to accompany it these days. Why don't we just start by talking about, at this point, where we are with the pandemic, is there a, an agreed-upon uh, clinical definition for long COVID? Tell us a little bit about you know, the symptoms and uh, uh, how you kind of classify it now. Right. So there is no universal clinical case definition for long COVID. Uh, but it, the CDC definition says that uh, new and returning or ongoing health problems uh, in people who are, have at least four or more weeks after the first um, infection with SARS-CoV-2. Um, the WHO definition is um, similar, but they, they usually say within three months of initial diagnosis and symptoms lasting for over two months. And so slight difference, but um, overall, at least four weeks, if not uh, two months or 12 weeks is used by an, um, another agency. Um, the types of symptoms that are reported is vast. There are over 200 symptoms being reported with long COVID, for long COVID. And um, that includes things like fatigue, shortness of breath, um, memory impediments, and um, GI symptoms, many, many uh, different organ systems being involved. What do you think kind of of those symptoms are kind of the most predominant ones? I heard you say, I guess the one, that the, the colloquial term of brain fog is something we've heard about before, but in terms of kind of severity and incidence, are those the top ones on the list? Yeah, so if you look at all the different surveys, uh, fatigue is the number one uh, symptom that's being reported and uh, followed by cough, headache, uh, muscle pain, loss of taste and smell is also um, one of the top uh, symptoms uh, as well as sore throat, uh, shortness of breath. But as I mentioned, there are over 200 symptoms. That is just, uh, how, how does somebody, I mean, when a patient presents themselves with, with some set of symptoms, uh, coming after about of COVID, how how's a physician to work with that when there are two hundred in contention? Right. So um, that's the other issue is that we really need a guidance for the physicians to be able to diagnose properly uh, long COVID because not every patient has obviously all these symptoms. They may have one or two, and some people have more than a dozen symptoms. So um, we really need to educate the physicians to be able to diagnose long COVID properly. Back when uh, we were kind of earlier in the pandemic, uh, uh, I spoke with someone that talked about how they were trying to quantify how many people or what percentage of people were developing long COVID symptoms. I think at that time, it was much higher than we anticipated, you know, somewhere in the 20 to 30% range. What, what are we seeing now that we're past two years in the pandemic? Yeah, so there are many reports um, that define the prevalence of long COVID um, in survivors of COVID. And uh, we can think of this in two bins. 
Uh, one is uh, patients who had severe COVID who were hospitalized and are discharged alive from the hospital. And, and in that population, the percentage is uh, you know, up to 50%. Whereas people who had mild or even asymptomatic infections, they can develop long COVID over time uh, within about three months of that uh, infection. And that tends to be between five to 30%. And they vary because we don't have a universal definition of long COVID. That's, those are high numbers. Um, oh. So that's a... a, a a really interesting thing. We're going to talk about that in regard to you know our challenges for the future. Um, but one thing I'm curious about, you know, you read a lot about uh, a lot of folks are trying to figure out why why this is happening. What what kind of is the current thinking, and what what does your research support in terms of one theory or another? If that is even where we are. Yeah, so currently we are at the hypothesis stage. Uh, we don't have a concrete answer as to what's causing long COVID, but there are a you know, few things that I can um, name, which is one of the top hypotheses is the uh, persistent virus or viral remnants that are um, persisting in tissues, uh, such as viral RNA or protein or both. And that could be triggering uh, chronic inflammation in these people. The other hypothesis is autoimmunity. So a uh, acute respiratory infection can uh, induce autoimmune conditions in some patients. And that once that's developed, it's very difficult to reverse that process. And, and that could be happening in a subset of long COVID patients. There's also um, hypothesis about uh, gut microbiome that's um, dysregulated dysbiosis, as well as um, latent virus reactivation like EVB. So there are many of these hypotheses, and I believe long COVID is likely composed of multiple diseases that are under one umbrella, but needs to be really dissociated and disentangled. So those, those are a lot of hypotheses to explore. Um, I guess it, it sounds, uh, as, you're, as you're talking about it, we've been learning in real time with the pandemic itself. And I guess we're in the same situation with long COVID at this point. So the question as to why is it so challenging uh, to figure out um, and what kind of research and how to gather data, you know, I'm hearing from you, like we're early in this still. Uh, is, that, is that how you would classify that? Yes, um, I think so. It's not for lack of trying. <laughs> we, we are working very hard to try to understand this disease. Um, and because we don't understand the cause yet, it is triggered by the infection, but downstream, what's causing it is still unclear. So we are you know, basically monitoring every possible parameters um, in the patient so we can understand if there may be a persistent virus or RNA or um, you know, a latent virus reactivation or um, autoimmunity. And, and these uh, assays require distinct um, uh, uh, you know, um, um, assays to be able to show uh, autoantibody versus viral remnants and so on. Uh, it takes time, but we are making progress. Medicine doesn't stand still and neither do we. AMA members don't just keep up with medicine, they shape its future. Help move medicine, join the movement. Visit ama-assn.org slash movingmedicine. Dr. Iwasaki, one thing I'm interested in is scientists have seen physical changes uh, evident in people who have long COVID. What, what are some of these kind of physical changes? And 
talk about a little bit about the science that might help explain them. Yeah, so there are um, definitive changes that people are measuring in the long COVID patients. Uh, for instance, the UK Biobank did a study where they measured uh, COVID survivors' um, brain mass before and after the infection. Uh, the UK Biobank is great because they're monitoring for um, brain uh, MRI, um, you know, just sort of continuously in people. And so they were able to capture people prior to their COVID exposure and post-exposure and compare that to a control group that's sort of age-matched um, that has, who haven't been infected with COVID. And what they found is uh, that the, there was a greater reduction in the gray matter thickness uh, than the uninfected matched controls, um, and also greater changes in markers of tissue damage uh, in regions um, connected to the primary olfactory cortex, um, and also greater reduction in global brain size. Um, so these even happened in non-hospitalized patients, and, and that's a, um, a real sort of physical change that we are able to monitor, but it's first of, um, I, I believe, many studies that's going to find uh, physical changes in long COVID patients. What can explain these kinds of um, brain uh, mass reduction? It's unclear, but I believe inflammation is involved. Uh, wow, that is uh, really concerning. And you mentioned before in the uh, arena of, say, autoimmune uh, disorders, some of these things are they're just, at this point, not reversible. Is that kind of a, kind of an overarching theme here? Um, well, I, I don't want to give off the impression that long COVID is permanent because um, people, a fraction of people are recovering um, gradually. And so if you follow the course of these uh, symptoms over time, you know, there's a definite gr gradual reduction, but it's not going to zero. So it's really the, those fraction of people who are still suffering after two years of having had COVID, um, and how do we uh, treat those people? And is there something that we can do to reset or reverse the disease? And again, depending on the disease etiology, uh, the treatment will be quite different. We talked a little bit before, just kind of translating this into the practical world of a physician who has a patient walk in, uh, that could be one of the set of 200 different symptoms, but you know, really post-COVID infection. How do you advise a physician in terms of like what the first step is in treatment? Well, right now we um, lack enough data to be able to advise the physician as to the treatment options. But what we really need to do is to understand these different endotypes that uh, underlie the disease called long COVID. If there are four distinct endotypes that are caused by different things, uh, we need to treat them differently. So for each endotype, we need a biomarker or biomarkers, um, and then we can uh, sort of separate the patients into the right kind of uh, disease uh, um, sort of treatment pathways. So if the patients are suffering from autoimmunity, we need to give them immunosuppressives and if the patients are having persistent virus infection, we need to give them antivirals. And so the kinds of treatment would obviously differ um, depending on the cause of disease. You know, with uh, the kind of percent of people that you were talking about and some of these uh, wide range of symptoms, I guess it's not surprising that you, you've talked per, uh, previously about, you know, a concern about a parallel pandemic of long COVID patients. Uh, that could be on the horizon. It's kind of a pandemic after the pandemic, if you, uh, I guess you could say. You know, is our 
our health system equipped to care for these patients? And if not, what do we need to do? Yes, it is a parallel pandemic because it's happening at the same time as the acute infections are happening. And it will be a much longer lasting pandemic than the acute um, infections because people are going to be suffering for four months. Um, and our current healthcare system is not well equipped to care for the millions of people suffering from long COVID. Um, the patients need a coordinated care system, really, uh, where they can be plugged into network of physicians specializing in long COVID issues, whether it be uh, cardiologist, uh, neurologist, pulmonologist, uh, gastroenterologist, uh, dermatologist, or whatever they need. Uh, and they need to be all educated to be able to recognize and treat the patients appropriately. Um, I, I think there should be a coordinated care that the physicians can be uh, can see these patients immediately through a network of specialists, and that doesn't really exist um, in many places. Well, last question: You were uh, one of a group of public health experts that issued a 136-page document about moving the nation into what you call the, the next normal. Uh, which outlines strategies for living with COVID-19 in the future. And of course, one of those 12 key focus areas in the report is about long COVID. Um, how, how do we live with long COVID going forward? Yeah, so we did um, write a roadmap for the next normal. And our chapter was on the long COVID. I'm delighted to announce that President Biden announced a plan for dealing with long COVID. And many of what we proposed were actually incorporated in that document. So very, very pleased that um, the administration was, um, you know, sort of keen on incorporating many of the suggestions. Um, basically, what we proposed and are incorporated in this new uh, strategy is um, establishing the task force uh, that coordinate interagency activities, because there are many agencies that are working on long COVID, but the, the coordination is uh, lacking so far. And we also need to create um, scientific and regulatory response for characterizing um, and then counting really long COVID and also uh, understanding the basic disease pathogenesis so we can start doing uh, planning for clinical trials based on that understanding. Um, and again, uh, as I mentioned, there needs to be a consensus-based guideline for these interdisciplinary care models for clinical treatment and management of long COVID. And of course, um, we need to make sure that uh, ensure adequate health and social support is provided to the patients. Dr. Iwaseki, thank you so much for spending time with us talking about this. It's clearly just a critical area for us to understand. I want to thank you also and you and your colleagues for all the work that you're doing to try to uh, bring some light to what is a very, very dark problem right now. Uh, that's it for today's COVID-19 update. We'll be back with another segment shortly. In the meantime, visit ama-assn.org slash COVID-19 for more resources. Thanks for joining us today. Please take care. Subscribe to other great AMA podcasts available wherever you listen to yours or visit ama-assn.org slash podcasts. Thank you for listening.